the stuff that's heavy upon us. I love what worship does. You know, this morning, God just, again, thank you, reminded me afresh of his love for me. And, you know, that just lifts off any heaviness or burdens. And, um, you know, I'm just excited to share the word with you this morning. <clears throat> and we've got um, the slides ready to go there, Johnson. So this morning I'm speaking on the greatest of these. And I had to have a pretty background because Brad always does the more, you know, corporate business in China. So I'm like, we need, we need a little bit of feminism. <laughs> so I'm sorry, guys, it's quite feminine this morning. Um, and it's not lost on me that today I'm preaching on love. And last time I spoke, I was peach, preaching on peace. And so I think that I would have made a pretty good hippie back in the 60s. Peace, love. I'm just not sure about the... Carry on drums. <laughs> That's not me. Um, but if we can just, yeah. If we can just pray together this morning as we come into God's word. Thank you, Father. Lord, we thank you, God, that you're here in our midst this morning. Your Holy Spirit is with us. I pray, God, that you would illuminate through the word, Father, things that you want us to grow in, Father, things that you want to reveal to us. Father, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit is moving upon our hearts and minds this morning as we delve into your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I'm getting used to this preaching thing. I know. <laughs> Brad, it's actually quite nice, you know, because the, I don't, I'm kind of, I take a little bit longer to put my, my messages together. You know, Brad's, um, I guess, because he's so well-versed in it, he can put, you know, a message together in a couple of hours, but I kind of like a few days, and so <laughs> yesterday and this morning, Brad's been doing the domestic chores in the home, he's been looking after the girls, this morning he even vacuumed the floors while I was preparing, <laughs> probably the second time ever in <laughs> more often. <laughs> You're kind of now thinking, oh no. <laughs> so let's just um, start with our first scripture, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verses 1 to 8 and then 13. So it says, if I could speak in all the languages of the earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. It's not rude. It doesn't demand its own way is not irritable, it keeps no record of being wronged, it does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the, whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love lasts forever. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. I think we all need to read that scripture every morning, yeah? I know I do, especially the part about not being irritable and keeping no record of wrongs. It's like the word of God. I see that hand. 
at the word of God, you know, when you just meditate on it, it's like it just readjusts and realigns sometimes our character and our motives. Um, but God's saying here, three things will last forever. You could prophesy, you could have the most incredible revelation, you could sacrifice and give everything to the poor, but if you don't do it out of love for others, God's actually saying here it means nothing. Nothing's gained because the greatest of these is love. The most important commandments is Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate with Jesus, and he realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked of all the commandments, which is the most important? This is one of the religious leaders asking Jesus of all the commandments, because back then they actually had, it wasn't just the Ten Commandments that Moses sought, but they actually had hundreds of laws and commandments, some that God gave them, some that they just made up themselves and put in, some even stupid ones, like how many steps they could take on the Sabbath before it was called work. <laughs> and so they're trying, you've got to get into their headspace. They're trying to think about, I can't even remember all these laws, let alone try and make sure that I'm not breaking any of them. And so their, their society, and especially the religious leaders, were so um, conditioned to be thinking about the laws, the commandments. And that's why this, was, this question was answered, asked to Jesus. Of all of the laws, Jesus, which is the most important? He's saying, please help me. I want to know. And Jesus replies, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, or your soul, or your mind, and all your strength. But the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So in this way, in Matthew 22, verse 40, Jesus actually says this way, the whole law of Moses and all the teachings of the prophets depend on these two commandments. Everything hangs on these two. Everything. Every law, every scripture, Everything that was revealed to the prophets hung on these two commandments. Love God, love others. He made it simple for us. Love God, love other, love each other. And you know what? They're actually inseparable because if you don't love God, you have a very limited capacity to love others. And so if you really love the Lord wholeheartedly, like this scripture says, with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, the byproduct of that is that it oozes out to others. You can't help but love others because you have so much of the Father's heart in you. You know, my capacity to love others in and of myself is very limited. It's limited to the amount of time I have. It's limited to my resources, how much pressure I'm under, how much sleep I've had the night before. But when I'm tapping into God's love, ironically, through loving on me, then my capacity to love is limitless. Does that make sense? Oswald Chambers says it this way, If I'm devoted to the cause of humanity only, I will soon be exhausted and come to a place where my love will falter. But if I love Jesus Christ personally and passionately, wholeheartedly, I can serve humanity though men treat me as a doormat. So saying there, no matter what, if I can love Jesus passionately, I can do anything for humanity, and it doesn't matter how they treat me because I'm connected to the Father's heart. But if I try to do it myself, if I try to love others, if I try to be the one who's there for them, if I try to be the one who's providing, then my love falters. 
because we were created to be connected to the Father's love, and then that flows through us. So, you know, that's something that I see this practically, even with our little girl Zara, is that when she feels like um, she's given, when she's given love and affection, she's very affectionate, because that's one of her love languages, is, is affection. And so when she receives love, when she receives affection, then she can actually, sometimes she gets to a place where it's like, you have to decipher whether the bad behaviour is actually just her pushing the boundaries or whether the bad behaviour is just her actually reaching out for affection. And so for those times where it is her just reaching out for affection, it's like as soon as she receives that, she's a different person. <laughs> it's like the behaviour turns 360. It's the same with us. It's like when we feel love, when we know we're loved, when we receive his heart for us, we are different people, yeah? I know I am. You know, when I'm in that place of, um, of connection and community, in communion with my Father, that Abba Father's love, when I'm in that place, and I'm such a, a better um, lover of others. There was something beautiful this week that happened, is that, um, well, the beginning of it wasn't beautiful. Zara gave me a bit of attitude, so she got sent to her room for a time out. And then um, I was walking past her bedroom door, and here's little Savannah, curled up on the bed with her, stroking her head. <laughs> and, um, you know, she's in that moment. It's like it turned, it's the same thing, it's that affection, it turned her heart around. And I walked past and she's like, she just came into my room. Because <laughs> she knows that when she's in timeout, she's got to be alone in timeout to think about her actions. And so when I was like, she just came into my room. <laughs> And I said, well, that's because she loves you so much, Zara, because one of the reasons she went to timeout is because she was mean to her sister. And so I said, well, that's because she loves you so much, Zara. She's like, I know, Mum. Let's play, Savannah. And so it's that when you know how much you're loved, when you see that, man, it just it turns your, your attitude around sometimes. So ironically, if we want to have more love for people, it's actually about loving God more. And more of his love starts to rub off onto us. You can't give what you don't have. Right? So 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12 says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who, anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. It's not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love has been brought to full expression through us. If we love others, God lives in us. It's being brought to full expression. We love each other as a result of his loving us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we have not seen? And God himself is commanded that we must love not only him, but our Christian brothers and sisters too. Come on, that's the word. That's the truth. He's saying if you... If you say that you love God and yet you're harboring hatred in your heart towards one of your brothers and sisters in Christ, well, then you call, God calls you a liar. Ooh, that's harsh. <laughs> that hurts. 
but that's the truth of God's word. If you're in, in wrong relationship with one another, and yet you're coming to church on Sunday and lifting your hands and saying, God, I love you so much, and yet you're harboring offense and unforgiveness in your heart, God's saying, I won't receive that until you deal with the, the offense and the unforgiveness. I don't want to be called a liar by God. <laughs> and so it says, if anyone does not love, he does not know God. Isn't that the truth, though? Because when you know God intimately, you love. It's the byproduct because it's part of his character. And so when you know him, and He, the Bible says we're being transformed into the image and likeness of Christ, then that's just part of who we are. John 13, 34-35, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's not a you should or it might be a good idea to. God's saying, you must. This is a command from the Lord. You must love one another. Let me set the scene here. In this scripture, this was actually part of Jesus' last supper with his disciples. And if, if you knew, like he did in that moment, that you only had one more dinner with your family, one more dinner, that you, what would you want to say to them? What would you want to convey to them? What would you want to impart to them in those last hours? This was Jesus' last chance to meet intimately with his disciples. And this is one of the things that he felt crucial to leave with them. A new command I give you, to add to those other hundreds. <laughs> but this is a new command. Love God, love each other. Love each other. At this same supper, Jesus took the place of, of a servant. You know the story? He takes off his robe, he puts on an apron, and he gets down and he washes the disciples' feet. Do you know that that... I was listening to something recently, I think we did as a, as a music team. That act of washing someone's feet was actually reserved for a servant. It was reserved for the master's servant. So when the people came in because, you know, they wore sandals and they didn't have pretty roads like we do and pathways, but, you know, they were stepping through mud and dust and animal droppings and, um, you know, they didn't have sewage systems and so, you know, it was pretty gross. <laughs> and so when they came into somebody's home, they didn't want to trudge all that through. And so the servant would come and they would wash each person's feet as they came in. And so for Jesus to take that position of a servant and in that last supper show the disciples that he was there to serve them, to love them in that way. One of the disciples actually said, Lord, no, you're not going to wash my feet. <laughs> and that Jesus said, I must. As I serve you, so you serve others. As the creator of the universe came down, stooped down, took off those dirty sandals, washed their feet with compassion, with love, with servanthood. Man, how much more are we to serve and love one another? The creator of the universe did that. He's saying, I'm modeling this for you. Don't be all about, this is not my place, I don't do that, you know, this, that's beneath me. The more you lead, the more you know that it's about servanthood, it's about serving, it's about loving, it's about laying down your life. That's exactly what Jesus did. And so as he faces, this is the eve before he is taken 
um, to, to start that process of, of crucifixion. So on this eve, as he faces that awful agony of the cross, he pauses for a moment to teach us to love and to be humble. If you knew what was ahead of you, what would you do? If you knew what was ahead of you, but Jesus stops, he gets all of his disciples together, he teaches them, he loves them, he serves them. So how shall we love? Well, it says here, as I have loved you. How did Christ love? This is what we're going to unpack this morning. Christ's love was many things, but these are just a couple. It was sacrificial. Sorry, just go back one. That's it. Christ's love was sacrificial, giving of himself without expectation of return. It was genuine and compassionate, a deep love that met people where they were. It was unbiased, totally unbiased. It was merciful, forgiving and unoffendable. And it was practical. It was love in action. You know, Jesus met people's needs practically. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. If, if we are commanded to love people as Christ loved us, then let's have a look at how Christ loved in the, in the Gospels. So the first one here is sacrificial. He showed sacrificial love. And the word love in Matthew twenty-two forty is the Greek word agape, defined as unconditional love, love that transcends and persists regardless of circumstances. It goes beyond just the emotions to the extent of seeking the best for others, loving without expecting anything in return. That's agape love. And this is the kind of love that God extended to us and extends to us, totally unconditional, totally unmerited, but this is the kind of love that Jesus is asking in this moment for his disciples to have for one another. A love that prefers others before ourselves. This is hard, you know, because we are so conditioned to think about self. Self-love, self-promotion, self-focus, self, 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 self. And so when God's saying here, no, I want you to show agape love. That's serving others before yourself. That's actually pushing self down and putting, preferring others before you is going out of your way and sometimes putting yourself um, in a place where um, you're going out of your way to, to love one another, to serve one another, to be there for one another. So Jesus showed this sacrificial love all throughout his ministry on earth, if you read the Gospels. But, you know, he, he made time to be with the Father. But apart from that, apart from those moments where he separated to be alone with God, he was teaching, he was loving, he was healing, he was restoring, he was delivering. And then the ultimate act of agape love was him hanging on that cross, being crucified for our sin, while we were still sinners. Romans 5, verse 8, that God showed his great love for us, for sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. It's uncomprehensible. You know, some of us wouldn't even die for those that we know would love us. <laughs> but he's saying, I, I died for you when I knew that you were still a sinner. And there's no, there's, in that moment, it's like God knows that he gave us free will. And so there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee that we'll love him back, that we'll serve him with our lives. 
They say, I'm still willing. That's that's agape love, man. That's sacrificial love. Another way that Jesus showed sacrificial love was his ability to be interrupted. How good are we at being interrupted? I'll I'll confess, I'm not great at this. (laughs) When I'm... When I'm focused, when I'm kind of honing in on a task, I hate being in trouble. It's one of my pet peeves. <laughs> I think because it's it kind of, when I'm taken out of that place, it takes me a little while to get back in there. And so, you know, this is something that even in, in preparing this message this morning, it's like when I saw the way that Christ lived, it's like God was just um, starting to, to put upon my heart. So you need to get better at this. At, uh, being interrupted sometimes and you know when, when we have our whole day planned out this is what I've got to do this is where I've got to be and then God wants to kind of bring a little interruption in our day do we say sorry God this is where I've got to be this is what I've got to do or do we kind of set that aside and say well actually it's not about that <laughs> it's about this and so um, Jesus made some of his greatest impacts when he was interrupted If you read through, at least a third of the times recorded about Jesus' life happened when he was interrupted. True. If you think about it, he's walking and he's interrupted by a blind man. He's walking through the street. He's interrupted by the woman with the issue of blood who grabs onto his robe. He's speaking. He's interrupted by a critic. He's traveling with his friends and he's surrounded by a mob. He's preaching and all of a sudden the roof opens up. And a lame man is lifted down for him to heal. The moments he made the greatest impact on people, he was interrupted. Come on, we've got to get better at being interrupted. It's not about our agenda. It's not about our schedule. It's not about our to-do list. It's about being about God's business. And if he wants to interrupt you, say, Lord, let me be interrupted, Father, because I want to make the greatest impact for your kingdom. I don't want it all to be about my day and my plan, but Lord, I want to make the greatest impact for your kingdom. Interrupt me, God. And now he will. <laughs> Sacrificial agape love is counterculture. True? Culture is all about self-preservation. My time is my own. I have to protect it fiercely. You know, we're becoming more and more isolated and independent. Islands unto ourselves because we're so protective of our spare time. And look, I get the I get the balance of this, and I get the opposite of this, where sometimes we do need those moments um, where we just have to have time to, to prepare and time, um, you know, obviously with you and the Lord, that's a given. But outside of that, what are we doing with our spare time? Are we fiercely protective of that, that we don't let anyone close, that we're becoming isolated, independent in that way? You know, if we look at the way that Jesus modelled and how he asked us to live, we were created for connection. We were created for community. If you look at the early church, they basically lived in one another's homes. They knew one another deeply. They provided for each other's needs. They worshipped and prayed together. They did life together. I want us not to just say we're family here at Forever House. I want us to be a family. And I think that we do some of these things really well. I do. I think that um, we're not kind of surface level people who um, are just content to say, you know, hi, how are you? But I want us to get great at this. I want us to be a family because it's the way that that God modeled it for us. 
if you have a look at it, what's important for us to understand is that there's a difference between a gathering of people and the church, a family. You know, sometimes the church can have gatherings, like different conferences or events, and, and that's okay, that's good. But foremost, the church has to be a family. Gatherings are good, but con- God constantly revealed himself as a God of families. He said that he was a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, this speaks of families and generations. He continued to say that this was his name forever, and it will not be forgotten. Charles Spurgeon said, Some Christians try to go to heaven alone in solitude, but believers are not compared to bears or lions or other animals that wander alone. But those who belong to Christ are sheep in this respect. They love to get together. Sheep go in flocks, and so do God's people. This is our tribe. This is our flock. This is our family. And so if we say that, if we believe that, then we have to back that up with that kind of agape love, sacrificial love, wanting to get to know what's going on in your world. How can I pray for you? How can I be there for you? If you think about a healthy family, you know, for example, um, just recently with um, Savannah being so unwell, you know, my family rallied around me. My sister picked up my daughter for me, brought her back home. You know, she said, can I make you some food? What can I do to help? My mum was on the phone, even though she's in America. She was on the phone every day. She was sending me texts, how's Savannah? Um, this, maybe you could try this or that. And so that's what family do. They rally together. They're there for one another, 100%. They're connected. They know what's going on in each other's worlds. That's how God has created us as church fam. That's how we should be. That's how the early church was. And that's how numbers were added to them daily because they saw the love for one another. So the second thing, so that was the first sacrificial love. It costs us. That kind of love costs us. But it's so worth it. The second is genuine and compassionate. Jesus was genuine and compassionate. Matthew 14, chapter 14, verse 13 to 14, when Jesus heard about John the Baptist, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So what's happened here is that the disciples have just told Jesus that John the Baptist has been beheaded. He's dead. And John the Baptist to Jesus was family. He was actually a relative. Um, his mother, Mary, and John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth, were cousins. And, and so this isn't just an acquaintance to Jesus. This is family, and this was a brother to him. It's the one who baptized him. You know, they probably played together when they were little. And so for Jesus, this is a deep sorrow that he's lost a family member. And so he's in that place of, of grief and of sorrow. And it says when he heard it, he had to withdraw. And he went by boat privately. He was seeking a solitary place to grieve and to be with the Lord. But hearing of this, the crowds followed him. There was always those that wanted to be with Jesus, to hear what he had to say, to be healed by him, the demands that they had. And so when Jesus landed and saw this large crowd, who, who thinks he would have been unjustified in saying, look, sorry, I just, I can't be with people right now. I just heard a family member died. I need to be alone with my father and walk away. Totally justified in doing that. And yet it said when he landed, 
He saw the group of people and he had compassion. That's the heart of God. Even in that place of sorrow and grief, he had compassion for the people. Such is the depth of our God's love, that agape love. He landed and he had compassion. And so he got them together and he started teaching. Matthew 9 verse 36, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 20, 34, moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. Mark 6, 34, when Jesus went ashore, he saw another large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. You know, showing compassion to one another. I think compassion and empathy are actually becoming more and more um, harder to find, I think, um, because we're becoming more and more disconnected. You know, we're becoming more and more disconnected to society. We're becoming more and more disconnected to one another. If you walk down the street, how many people do you actually see that eyeball you and smile or nod or, you know, just acknowledge one another? I challenge you to find one person that might do that. It might be more of an elderly person that doesn't have a smartphone in their hand. <laughs> but that's the way our society is kind of moving, where it's all, um, all connected online but disconnected socially. And so when you become disconnected socially, when you don't have deep relationships with people, you can't get to that place of compassion because compassion comes from empathy. To have compassion, we've got to be able to empathise, to empathise with you. Let's say Sandy's going through um, a rough time. Maybe she's just lost um, her sister. And so to empathise with Sandy, I have to know her deeply, first of all, to know that. But then I have to know the effect that that has on not just her family, but her extended family, on you know the people around about her. And the, the depth of that, if we're not connected in that way, I can't empathise because I don't know that deeply what she's going through. And so if I can't empathise, then I can't have compassion. And so in a society where we're so disconnected, we don't know what's going on. And even if we do, we might think, oh, that's a bit sad, and then move on to the next thing. Because there's not that depth of, of connection. There's not that depth of relationship. And so, um, you know, to um, show this in an example, um, there was a couple here, um, Alex and Kylie. And if you've been here um, long enough, you know Alex and Kylie. And um, they came along to our church and they were pregnant. She went into labour and... Um, unfortunately, the labour was um, really tough on her and the baby. And when the baby came out, it was put on life support. And they came to Brad and I and they said, look, this is, this is going on. Please get the church to pray for us. Um, and so in that moment, because Brad and I had children, maybe if you don't, but because we did have children, we were able to go to that place. And because we had intimate connection with them, we were able to go to that place of, oh, my gosh, imagine if that was us. Imagine if we had just birthed our child and that it was taken away and put on life support. You don't know what's going to happen. And then when you go to that place of empathy and then you can come to that place of compassion of what, what can we do? 
Come, we're gonna, we'll be there. We're going to pray for you together. Our church is going to commit to um, prayer meetings. We're going to come. We came together and we prayed like every night for a week. And then we, um, the church, I was so proud of our church that just really rallied around them. They sent money. They sent um, food. They sent all the things that they needed in that time. But that was because of intimate connection. That was because they were part of the family. When we lose that, we lose that ability that disconnection. And so Jesus, when he showed compassion, you know, sometimes it can be painful compassion, can't it? Because it requires empathy for others, but it's also necessary to provoke, to evoke positive action. You know, we, um, the Minor Children's Hospital, um, they were doing some door knocking. I felt so sorry for them because you know how steep our, <laughs> our street is. It's like this. And so they got up the top and obviously they're like... <laughs> And they're knocking on our door, and I come down. And they said, "Oh, we're here from the Mother Children's Hospital." <laughs> and they were door knocking for um, their, their premier baby's um, ward. They were doing an appeal to try and um, to try and get support for um, their programs in their ward. And the first thing they asked is, "Like, well, do you have children?" I said, "Yes, I have children." Have you had any premature babies, or do you know anyone who's had premature babies who have needed um, medical care? And I said, well, actually, I do know. And they said, oh, did it, did it end up okay? I said, yeah, they have a healthy, beautiful um, child now. Um, but yes, that she ran the clock care for quite a number of weeks. And so they're trained to take you to that place of empathy because they know to, to feel those emotions that in turn evokes compassion for you to give. And so, you know, who's going to say no to giving to preemie babies. <laughs> and so we signed up for my children preemie ward. But it's like that they take you to that, they're trained in that to take you to that place because compassion has got to come from a place where you can understand and be there with that person and have a connection. Once you have that connection, um, that's where that, that compassion comes from. And so if we're only connected on a surface level here at church, not really invested into deeper connection with each other, compassionate love is rare. However, on the contrary, if you're walking with someone, doing life together, you know what they're struggling with, how it's affecting them and their family, you feel more deeply for them, putting yourself in their place and being led to compassion. And do you know that increased compassion is related to increased happiness and decreased depression? Isn't that interesting? When we show compassion, we're actually happier and we're less depressed because you're thinking about others. I think sometimes depression comes because we're so focused on ourselves and our um, downfalls and, and self, self, self. It's so inward. But once you start to look out, see what other people are going through, having compassion, giving, it's a, it's a, a value in the Bible. It's like give out of the fullness, given it shall be given to you, but it's give, um, what's the scripture this morning? Uh, giving you shall receive, but uh, giving is it's more blessed to give than receive. It's more blessed to give because God knows the effect that it has on us. Yeah. And so God was compassionate. There's this story of a little boy. One day a small lad chanced upon an elderly man crying. His wife of many years had recently passed away. The boy stood and watched a moment and then climbed up onto the man's lap and just sat there for a while. His mother later asked him, why did you do that? And he replied, I just wanted to help him cry. <laughs> Showing compassion to each other. Sometimes it's as simple as that. It's about coming alongside someone, perhaps holding their hand and crying with them. 
Now, Jesus did that. It was an example of him when he visited Mary and Martha after the death of the brother Lazarus. He was so touched by their grief that the record simply says Jesus wept. He wept with them. Even knowing that he was about to bring him back, he still, in that moment, he felt that compassion and he wept with them. And sometimes when people are going through really tough stuff, sorrow and grief, they don't want to know the wise words that you have or how you can relate. They just want you to sit with them and to love them, weep with them, have compassion. The third thing is Jesus' love was merciful. Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know where this scripture is, right? He's hanging on the cross. And the soldiers are throwing lots for his robe. They've not just crucified him, but now they're throwing lots to see who will receive his robe. And Jesus, there on the cross, says, forgive them, Father. They know not what they've done. They know not what they do. So even in that moment of complete and utter agony, betrayal, the people turning in their hearts towards him, and even the Father is about to turn his, his eyes. He said, Lord, forgive. It was in him. Mercy, forgiveness. It was in him because it's in God. It is who he is. Offense and unforgiveness are like weeds in our heart. If they if left unchecked, they quickly spread and choke out the other plants. Who's a gardener here? Not many. One. <laughs> Two. Uh, we tried to, we got a fake plant for inside our Blimber apartment and we got a real plant for outside. And <laughs> we went back the other day and the real plant's like this brown little tweak. <laughs> Alright, we'll be getting a fake plant for outside too. <laughs> We're not good with, with um, making time for things outside of our children. <laughs> and so, yes. Um, but if you're a gardener, you know that you've got to get in there and you've got to get those weeds out. Because if you don't, if you let them go, man, they grow so quick. I'll go out and I'll pull the weeds out from our driveway, and then it's like a week later, they're back again. And so, and whereas, you know, something that you really want, like a plant that you want to grow, it's like, oh my gosh, this takes forever. It's like watching paint dry longer. <laughs> and so, it's like those, those weeds, if you, unforgiveness and um, offense are like weeds in our hearts. If you just let them go, and they'll, they'll pop up and they'll keep popping up, but if you let them go, they start to choke out everything else. And they start to take over the soil and the nutrients like, like weeds do. And then they, they choke out the other plants. And, and so in our hearts, if you don't let, if you don't um, face to face, if you don't um, confront those things, offense and unforgiveness, they'll start to choke out God's fruit that he's, he's um, placed in your life. They poison. They're poisonous to our soul. They actually stop the flow of the Spirit in your life. Did you know that? Jesus said, I can't forgive you if you don't forgive your brother. And so it stops the flow of the Spirit because God can't forgive us. And so then we're, in, uh, we're not in the right relationship with the Father. There's a scripture that says, Ephesians 4.26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. So the Bible's saying here, it's okay to be angry. It's a human emotion. It's all right. <laughs> we can be angry, but be angry and don't sin. So what does that mean? 
you can be angry in sin. You can be angry and you can um, go to that place of, of speaking out of turn. Or you can be angry and go to that place of starting to dwell on it in your heart and allowing offense to come and, and really um, starting to share that with other people. Do you know what he did to me yesterday? And, you know, I can't believe this and I really feel hurt by this. That then is sin because you're starting to, to gossip and you're starting to slander. So the Bible says it's okay to be angry because that's how God knows he's created us with emotions. We're not robots. But take that to God. Take that emotion to God and say, Lord, I'm really angry about this situation and I really want to do something that will cause me to sin. But God, help me in this moment. I release it to you. And it says there that you're not giving place to the devil then. Because when we sin, when we're angry and sin, then that gives the devil a foothold. And the devil needs a foothold to create a stronghold. And so when we allow forgiveness to flow in our hearts and our lives, then that allows the flow of the Spirit and God's fruit to grow. Forgive in the Greek word is afiem, which in modern day terms is let it go. <laughs> we just recently watched frozen with our girls and so they're running around the house let it go let it go and they have one of those books you press the button that's let it go and so it's etched in our memories <laughs> and so but that's literally what afiam what forgive means is let it go because sometimes we can be tempted to maybe slightly let it go and just hang on to a little bit or let it go and then pick it back up again and start you know, thinking on it and talking about it and internalising it. But it says here, rather than being held hostage by what someone has done to you or by what you might think that person has done to you, Jesus, Jesus says, me, let it go. Let it go. Because, you know what, unforgiveness actually hurts you more than it does the other person. We all know that, yeah? It's like drinking poison ourselves and expecting the other person to die. Proverbs 17, 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but who repeats a matter, he who repeats a matter, separates close friends. Ooh, that's a good one. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. Are we people who seek love? Sometimes, you know, offense is going to come. It's just part of being together as people, as humans. You know, offense is going to come because we're not all the same. You know, we have different priorities and different ways of seeing things and looking at things. And so offense is going to come. But God says, seek love. Seek love and cover the offense for your brother. Because if we're constantly being offended and bringing it up and, and, you know, it's just, it becomes a place of where it's all about our feelings, us, how we've been wronged. And then we don't have an opportunity to look outside and say, what kind of a a um, family are we building here for people to come into? What's more important? I preached about this last time. What's more important to you? Is it about being right and justified in that moment? Or is it more important for you to create a place here where people can come in and be transformed by the Word of God, transformed by the relationships with others, transformed by the love for one another? Colossians 3 verse 12. Put on then as... As God's chosen ones, holy, beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing, and sometimes that bearing feels heavy, but bearing with one another. 
And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Jesus said we must forgive our brother 70 times 7. 70 times 7, that's a lot. And actually, it's perpetual, but it's like that's what's going to cause this um, this wave and this character within you of, of letting it go, of forgiving, of not taking offence, of moving forward. Let it go. Sorry, it's going to be in your head now. And the last way was practical. Jesus was so practical in his love. Matthew 14, verse 15 to 21. As their evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And the disciples kind of clambered together and said, But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Bring them here to me, he said. You can hear that tone. It's like, okay, bring them to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. Looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were about 5,000 men, plus women and children. Incredible, wasn't it? They got through those crowds, but then as, as night was falling, the disciples were like, oh my gosh, these people need to eat. God, send them away. And Jesus was like, no, you feed them. Imagine being disciples in that moment. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> and they said, what do you mean, us feed them? That would, and they actually said that would cost like a year's wages for us to go and get food to feed all these people. And he's like, you're not thinking the way that I'm thinking. It's like, I can create. Sometimes it can be like that, right? God will ask us to do something to provide, and we can think, God, I don't have that provision. I can't, I can't, I can't give in that way. But we, we're not thinking. We're not. If God has asked you to do it, He'll provide a way for you to do it. That's the amazing thing about our God. But if we say, God, I can't. I, I don't have the um, the finances for that. I don't have the provision for that. And then turn away. Then we're missing the miracle. If God asks you to do something, he will provide a way for you to do it. And so if it's a way of provision, say, okay, God, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, and I'm going to say, okay, if you've asked me to do this, here it is. And I know that I don't have enough for what I need, but I know that you're going to make a miracle happen. It's like when Leor gave his testimony, when he um, gave his type message, like God said, take that grocery money and, and put it in the offering. And I love Leroy's faith in that moment. <laughs> I don't know how I would be. I was like, boy, you're taking money. You're taking food out of my children's mouth. But he knew in that moment he trusted God. It's like, God, you're going to provide for me. And God did. And so sometimes don't be overwhelmed by what God asks you to do. But have faith. Step out and know that he's going to provide. God was practical. 1 John 3.16, we know that what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brethren, our brothers and our sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Come on, let's show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so we'll be confident when we stand before God. I want to be confident when I stand before God. And so we have to show love with action. Love without action 
is just they're just words. It's meaningless. But when you when you put your action behind your love, it's like when God says there that then God's love is truly in you. You know that quote that says love must be communicated by both word and action. Your actions give weight to your words. There it is up on screen. That's true, right? You know, we know the people that sometimes are just will say, yeah, I'm there for you, you know, whatever you need, um, but there's no action behind it. It doesn't give real weight to what they're saying, right? And let me be honest. I, previously, I've kind of been a bit discouraged by this. I think because I've seen all of the needs and the immensity of it um, and kind of retreated in a way. And so I've learned that, um, I've learned God has taught me the power of unity. When I feel like it's always my responsibility, when everyone's needs here is on me, then I retreat because I'm like, oh, that's too much. That's too heavy. But God's taught me the power of unity. And we see this when we learn to do our part, there's a power in unity. Just like when draft horses are pulling a cart, one horse alone can pull up to 8,000 pounds. That's a lot. But you'd assume that two horses coming together could pull 16,000. 16,000 pounds, right? Double what the first one could. However, when they actually pull, they pull three times as much. The two draft horses working together can pull 24,000 pounds. And if the two horses that are pulling together have trained with one another and they've worked together before, they can actually pull 32,000 pounds, which is a load four times heavier, uh, four times as heavy as either of the horse could pull themselves. There's power in unity which is an example of the scripture, Deuteronomy 32, 30. One can chase a thousand, but two put 10,000 to flight. Come on, it's the word of God. And when we rally together, when we come together and it's it's a combined energy and we, we've, we're working together as a team, as a family to, to provide for the needs for one another, with one another, it's not all too heavy just on a couple of people, but it's actually that's how um, a family works. It's like you do your part, I do my part, and together we have this momentum that we don't have separately. So let me challenge you, put out a challenge. Next time someone shares with you a need that they, a need that they have, rather than just saying, let me pray for you, which is good, I want you to do that too. But I challenge you to think of, is there a practical way that you can help? Is God putting upon your heart a practical way that you can help them in that moment? Let's be ones who go out of our way for each other. Have agape love, that sacrificial love. And as we finish off, I just want to finish off in, back in John 13, 35. And it's the second part of the scripture. So the first part was, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And the second part, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. How? If you love one another. It's our greatest evangelism tool. Isn't that funny? It's not about going out in the streets and handing out tracts and, you know, doing all these great and incredible things. But God's word here says, how are they going to know that you're my disciples? How do you love one another? How often do we turn, do you know what isn't convincing to your co-workers or friends or community about you really being a, a true disciple of the, of the Lord 
It's not about health when you attend church because they'll just think that's fanaticism. It's not about the things that we do or don't do for God because they just they don't get that. It's not about what we give up and sacrifice for God because that just makes them pity us. But Jesus says that people will see the reality of our faith by how we love one another. How are we loving one another? Are we loving one another well? Are we showing forgiveness? Are we covering with love? Sometimes when we get offended, are we showing love practically to meet the needs of one another? Because that is what the Bible says is our greatest school of evangelism. The Bible is, I just want to finish with that, that quote, Charles Spurgeon. The Bible is not the light of the world. It is the light of the church, but the world does not read the Bible. The world reads Christians. You are the light of the world. Amen? Amen. Let's just stand. I want us just to grab the hand of someone next to you. We're just going to finish with some prayer this morning. say that I do think that we do a lot of the things really well in our church. I'm really proud of our, um, of our family. But what we want in this season is to do this extraordinary, extraordinary, extravagantly. We want others to come into this family and go, wow, man, these people really love each other. They're there for each other when they need it. How can I become part of this family? Who is this God that they serve? And how can he change me and transform me? Thank you, Father. Lord, we come before you this morning as your body, as your church, as your family. Lord, we're asking, Lord, that you would be so present, Father, in this house. Lord, within each and every one of us. Help us, God, to show one another agape love. As your word says, to love one another as you loved us. Help us, God, to see outside of ourselves, Lord, to know and to understand the power of unity, the power of loving each other. Lord, help us, Father, Lord, to show forgiveness, to show kindness. Lord, not to be easily offended, but to, to be like that um, duck in the water and the, the, the water just flows off, Lord, to be unoffendable, God. Lord, so that we can that we know the true vision of this house and that we're behind that, Father, that we know, God, that that's our, that's our number one priority, Lord. It's not about offense. It's not about um, what the other person has done. But, God, working together, we want to work together behind this great vision that you've given this house. Lord, help us. Help us by loving you more, as we love you more, as we receive your agape love. Father, you're transforming us, heart, soul, mind, spirit. Father, into who you are, Lord, that we can, that we can feel what your heart feels. Lord, that we can love others the way that you love us. God, we can't do that in our own strength. And Lord, today we surrender once again and say, Lord, we falter and we fail in our own strength. But God, we, but when we're connected with your love, connected to the Father, Lord, that your love would be seen, that your love would be rubbing off on us, shown to others kindness, mercy, 
provision. Lord, knit our hearts together even more. This house would be like a beautiful tapestry created for your purposes, your call. If you went here on Thursday night, I saw a vision when we were worshipping of, we've been talking about this river that God has running through this house, the river of his spirit. And, you know, we've been prophesying about it and talking about it and, and praying into it. And on Thursday night, I saw each and every person had this river that flowed from their spirit and as it came together and merged together, it created this one incredible river that was, it's like every person carried a different color and a different facet. And as it came together, it was this incredible um, multifaceted, multicolored river stream that flowed through this house where people could come and be refreshed and, and they could um, come and they could receive healing and they could receive wholeness and they could be renewed. But that is flowing from the Spirit. It says, um, out of them live, rivers of living water shall flow. When we're connected to Him, rivers of living water flow. And as it flows, as we come together in unity, that's what creates this beautiful river in this house. Thank you, Father. Lord, that each one of us has such a crucial part in this family. Not one of us, Father, is, is not useful. But God, we are all together, Father, a part of your body. And so precious. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in and through us. Thank you for this family who loves you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for deep connection and relationship. Help us, God, to be better at being interrupted for your purpose, for your cause. We submit and surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.